You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. So we're now going to Psalm 15 together in the moments we have. I'm not planning on being super long today due to the nature of our service, but God help us to be effective and efficient right now and fruitful in your word. Psalm 15, we decided this week, is going to be the wrap-up of our Life of David series as we go into the summer. I just want to say this as a disclaimer. um, We might come back into the Life of David in August. In fact, that's kind of the plan right now, but we're just going to see what the Lord does in the next month or so and uh, see if that happens. So we're definitely kind of wrapping up 1 Samuel's portion of the life of David, and maybe we'll return in fullness to the life of David in 2 Samuel. We will see, all right? I like to say Lord willing because we really don't know. God does. But for now, we're going to kind of wrap up here as we go into the summer. I think Psalm 15 is a tremendous psalm to do this. Why? It was written by David, but more than that, okay, David we know in the whole series, David was a man after God's own heart. And what this psalm does in Psalm 15, this psalm describes this heart. So that's very then, very helpful. This will be a very fruitful time. What this psalm does, it defines this heart. It unpacks this heart. This psalm also, from our lives, it calls forth this heart. And so one of the questions we're asking ourselves as we go through this series on the life of David, am I a man or a woman after God's own heart? Is this something that I'm seeing in my life? Is this something that's just words or is it something that's real? So we're going to find that out today. Psalm 15 becomes a beautiful examination of our hearts. There's been many university students in the past couple of months that have been writing uh, final exams. There's many high school students in the past couple of weeks or maybe still currently. You're writing final exams. And the rest of us who aren't officially students right now, we're jealous of not having final exams, right? Right? Maybe not, right? But we take a final exam today as we go into summer. But this is a beautiful exam. This is exam of our hearts. Where are we? How are we doing before the Lord in this way? I want to get right to the text. I want you to look at verse 1. Verse 1 sets up the entire psalm. Verse 1 is a question. The rest of the psalm answers this question. Look intently at verse 1. David says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Say it again. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? I believe this question, loved ones, right here in verse 1, is one of the most important questions uh, proposed in Scripture or asked in Scripture. Here is David. (coughs) David is opening up his heart. And he is desiring to know this profound question, God, who is it that may dwell in your presence? Oh Lord, oh God, who is the person that may enjoy fellowship with you? That's a pretty massive question. Notice the two verbs used in verse 1. The words sojourn and dwell. As one commentator says, In the Hebrew, these two verbs, sojourn and dwell, are emphasizing a temporary nature of residence. It's a temporary. You're you're, you're a guest in the house of God, so to speak. So the noun derived from the same root describes a resident alien. And a resident alien is someone who doesn't deserve to be there, but they have been granted permission, not by their own rights, but by the gracious permission of the landowner. 
This is what's happening here within this text. So why in verse 1 is the Holy Spirit leading David to stress a nature of temporary dwelling? Here's why. Because in the reality of our God and us as sinners, not one of us deserves to dwell in the presence of God. Not one of us can go before God and say, I have my list of the good deeds I've done. I have gained favor with you, God, based on what I have done in my works. I am a good person. I can now uh, merit my access into your presence. No one can ever do that because God cannot tolerate even one sin. So here we are looking at this question, and who can dwell in the presence of God? Only the person who can dwell in God's presence is only there because of God's grace. Now anyone who's alive right now in the Lord Jesus Christ, or who isn't even alive right now in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you consider this, man, that should humble us right now. This should cause us to feel pretty broken in ourselves because the only way we have any hope of any, any access into God's presence and hearing from him and knowing his love, let alone being saved by him and granted eternity in heaven with him is because of his grace. By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, Ephesians 2 says. And so right from the start, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? God caused that to humble us even now. But here's what's amazing from this text and what we're going to see as we go through the psalm right now is that God desires, though, his children to dwell with him. God desires that we would not be far from him. God longs that his children would not be separated, but restored and brought to fellowship of intimacy with him. That alone is amazing to me. The God of the universe, he, he owes us nothing, love. He owes us nothing. God could erase us in a heartbeat, man. Like, again, there's, there's nothing that he has to do for us. We deserve to die. We deserve hell. We deserve his wrath upon us because of our rejection against him. And yet, remember, the whole story of this book, the entire Bible, is one story of redemption. The moment man sins, God puts his plan of reconciliation into place, of restoring his children to himself. In the whole Bible, the reason Jesus Christ came is ultimately God's plan of redemption to restore his children to his presence, to fellowship with him. And that's why then verse 1 is loaded. It's a loaded, powerful, incredible question. God, who dwells with you? God, who is a guest at your house? God, who may know your presence? And David knows a lot about this. And just in case there's any doubt about this, notice in verse 1, David uses the word tent. Other translations use tabernacle. And what was the tabernacle? but the very place where men met with God. You see, David longs to reside in the tabernacle because that's in his context where God is. And David longs to be in the presence of God. David hungers. David wants so much, again, to be in the very presence of his God because that's where he knows life is lived. Loved ones, just take a moment right now, a little spiritual timeout, step back far enough from David's life and notice this. The mark of David's life was his hunger for the presence and the glory of God. The very thing that set him apart, the single greatest characteristic that made him a man after God's own heart is that he longed insatiably for the very presence of the Lord as is proven again 
here in Psalm 15, verse 1. Some of you are like, well, that's just one verse. Well, let me give you a couple of more then that David said. Here's another verse I want you to see. David says, Psalm 24, one thing have I asked of the Lord. One thing. Got my attention. It's got my attention. What is it? That I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, the tent, the dwelling place, the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To do what, David? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. This was the secret of David's life. One thing have I asked for, I seek after. I want to dwell in the house of the house of the, the tent of God all the days of my life. There's another verse that you'll be familiar with, Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. I'm always trying, never mind, right? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David's so fired up about the house of the Lord. David's so hungering for that, and the presence, all he wants to be is to be with his God. This marked his life. Question, does it mark your life? This is the single difference between the lukewarm Christian and the Christian fired up and being used for the Lord. They hunger for him. You go to the fridge because you hunger for food. You go to the TV because you hunger to be entertained. You go to the sporting event because you long to, in a sense, worship that sports team. You go to your Lord because you long and hunger to worship him. And you will feed yourself on that which you truly hunger for. This was the secret and the power of David's life. So no wonder than the first two words of Psalm 15, verse 1. He says, O Lord, because that's where all of life begins. O Lord. Now understand, David's not saying, O Lord, or O Lord, or O Lord. Or he's going, O Lord, O Lord, O, o reverence to my God, O Lord. Oh, Lord, I need you. Oh, Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent and who may dwell in your holy hill? So this is the question David is asking in verse 1. Who is the one who dwells in the presence of the Lord? And now the rest of this psalm details this answer. Okay, question, or verse 1 is the question. Who dwells in the presence of the Lord? And now verses 2 to 5 give the answer. If you're like me, God's word has your attention now. If you're like me right now, you're like, man, I, I'm living for this. I'm living for this. This is my life. So now I want to know who is it that dwells in the presence of the Lord because that is the defining path for my life then. And I pray you're on the same page as I am because there's nothing more important. Who will dwell in the presence of the Lord? And what we see from verses 2 to 5, we're going to break it down this way, five characteristics that will be seen in the man or woman after God's own heart who will dwell in the presence of of the Lord. This list is not exhaustive. It is a summary of the characteristics that will be seen in the individual who is seeking to be filled with the presence of the Lord. Point number one. You want to dwell in the presence of the Lord? Number one is this, and I will live with integrity. I will live with integrity. Now, some of you might be listening the last couple of weeks and you'd be like, but we just did integrity a couple of weeks ago. I know, I told you God cares about it a lot. When you're reading God's word, man, look for repeated themes. The Holy Spirit wrote this book called the Bible. He does not waste a word, okay? When you see repeated themes in Scripture, notice them, see them, and understand God seems to have something he wants us to know over and over again. This is another area, the importance of God, of integrity within our lives. Verse 2 says this, He who walks blamelessly and does what is right, who shall sojourn in the tent of God, dwell on his holy hill, he'll, <clears throat> he who walks blamelessly 
and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Now, the word blameless here does not imply I don't sin. Uh, This is not sinless perfection. Rather, it's a way of life. It's the whole of my life is going in the direction of the Lord. Remember, we define integrity as living one life. Living one life, then, is the aim, uh, the goal, the desire, the passion of my life is to set my heart upon the heart of God, the ways of God, and the power of God. So the person who's seeking the Lord, their integrity-filled life, they are walking in the direction of the Lord. Integrity moves the individual through what they say and how they think and what they do. They are walking in the direction of the Lord, okay? Just as a compass points north, integrity in our lives points to the Lord. We are walking. Integrity, I'm walking towards the Lord. I am hungering for Him. A lack of integrity, what happens is we get sidetracked by sin, sidetracked by bad friends, sidetracked by idolatry, sidetracked by ourselves. And instead of walking to the Lord, we are sidetracked and end up falling in the ditch. Integrity gets up out of the ditch by God's grace and says, no, no, my path, I am to be walking in the direction of the Lord. Again, that's why this book is our compass. Because when you're wandering all around and you're lost and you open up God's book, not for a legalistic pursuit of God, but a genuine love for the Lord, you open up the book and what the book does is says, go north, go to the Lord. And then you're like, you, you see your mind and your heart connects and then you begin to walk in the direction of the Lord, which will be happening even now in Psalm 15. That's why this book is so precious. Shows us where to go. And who to be by the strength and the power of the Lord. This is what integrity is. Now one thing I want to be very clear before we get any further into this text. We are receiving from Psalm 15 a very specific call to righteousness from our lives. The person who wants to dwell in the presence of the Lord, they must have integrity. they got to walk as blameless. But again, I want to be very clear right now. This is an important teaching point. David is teaching in the perspective of the Old Covenant. David obviously is teaching from the Old Testament here. And in the Old Testament and under the Old Covenant, loved ones, listen, blessings and cursings were given out, depended upon the behavior of God's people. We, of course, are in the New Covenant now. We are post-Christ and post-His death and resurrection. And under the new covenant perspective, we are now living in a... This is a great spot for an amen, okay, when I'm done this sentence, okay? Under the new covenant, we are in a place now where all of our blessing is solely found in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Okay, okay, that's a huge amen. Because if it's up to us, we're dead. But it's not up to us because Jesus Christ has done it for us. Now, some of you understood what I said, some of you didn't. Let's try to take another lap around the track and see if we can gain some more followers, okay? So here we go. Under the old covenant, this is helpful, okay? Under the old covenant, a righteous walk was the precondition for fellowship with God. I could not draw near to God unless my life was in obedience to God. So that's why God says, if you obey, you're blessed. If you disobey, you're cursed. Deuteronomy, all over the place, right? It's all conditioned upon, you can obey, not going to obey, you will be blessed or cursed. It's a precondition. A righteous walk was the precondition for fellowship with God. Under the new covenant, a righteous walk, listen, listen, huge difference. A righteous walk now, the righteousness in our, is the result. 
It's the result or the fruit of fellowship with God, which is huge, huge, founded on faith. Faith. By grace, you've been saved through faith. Faith is the starting point, not our works. But faith, when genuinely lived in our lives, results in genuine fellowship, which results in genuine fruit. That's why 1 John 1, 6 says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we are in darkness, we lie. Okay, so again, time out. In a room this size, there are always people, and we heard it through testimonies today in baptism. People say they're saved. They say they're Christians. And whether they believe it or not, or they know they're pretending. The people in this room right now, I don't know who they are, God does. You say you know Christ. You say you're a Christian, but the reality is you're in darkness. Your life, the fruit of your life is not indicative of a genuinely transformed person in Jesus Christ. So here's a word of truth, a word of grace and love today for you. And only the Lord can decide how this is distributed right now. I, I can't do it. I, I'm, I'm called to preach it. If we say we have fellowship with him, but we are in darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. Because faith without works is dead. See, we're applying right now. What does it mean to practice the pursuit of the presence of God? Let me again, I've gained a couple more followers now. One more lap around the track. Let's see if we can get some more people on page. Go to the next slide for me. Would you do that? Okay, notice this, okay? Came up with this this week. I'm hoping this is going to be very helpful. The Christian life begins with faith in God. By grace, you've been saved through faith. When faith is initiated by the Lord and then we initiate faith in God, faith in God will always result in fellowship with God. Faith in God leads to fellowship with God. When I'm in intimacy or fellowship with God, from here then I see the fruit from my life. That's why you have someone standing up in the baptism tank today and they're like, man, before nothing was happening, all of a sudden Christ came into my life and now my life has changed. I'm bearing fruit for him. Why? Faith led to fellowship, led to fruit. We don't come up with fruit on our own, not genuine fruit. Right? So what happens is when faith in God leads to fellowship with intimacy and then naturally from here there must be fruit and the brilliant part is when I see fruit for God increases my faith and the circle continues intimacy and I start seeing this pattern throughout my life. Yes, it begins here. It begins here. Salvation begins here. Faith in Christ, what he's done for me. But it leads to intimacy with God, leads to fruit for God, but then it increases my faith and the intimacy again with God and more fruit for God. And we're to be going and growing like Jesus Christ on an upward motion. This is why, again, James 2 says, faith without works is dead. If you say you have faith but no genuine fruit, that can't be real. This is why John 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I abide in you, he it is that bears much fruit. If you abide in me, faith, and I abide in you, fellowship with God, he that it is that bears much fruit, apart from me, you can do nothing. So as we go through this psalm today, we're understanding everything begins in faith, but the natural result of faith is fellowship with the Lord, sojourning in his tent, and from there, there must be fruit. There's going to be bad times and hard times and difficult times, but the reality is if we're saved in Jesus Christ, this process must happen through our lives by the grace of God. From that understanding, now we can begin to call ourselves to righteousness that is in Christ, but is to be seen through our lives as well. So notice in verse 2 again, notice the combination now. I want to sojourn in the presence of the Lord. Notice, I will walk blamelessly with integrity, but I will also speak truth in my heart. So as we understand pursuing the presence of the Lord, what's in my mind can't be separated from, again, what's in my heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So mind, heart, and then, and then speech. 
Notice integrity begins in the heart. It is seen by our walk and heard through our lips. The power of the fellowship with the Lord. One of my favorite stories is John Payton, who was a missionary to the cannibals. And he was in a tree as the cannibals were trying to hunt him down and kill him. And he's such a life of integrity. He gave up everything. He lost wives, children. He was serving the Lord in the power of the gospel. He's hiding in a tree all night long as guns are being shot around him on the ground, trying to hunt him down and kill him. And he, he, he testifies that in that moment, he says, I was alone but not alone. And the glory of the Lord and the presence of God came so near to me, I felt like I was going to explode with joy in the midst of hiding in a tree from people trying to kill him and eat him. And he testifies to an intimacy of the Lord that is so supernatural, it really can't be understood in human terms. That, I mean, I just read that stuff, and I'm just like, wow, that's awesome. The greatest thing John Payton had going for him was the pursuit and the hunger and the integrity of the Lord that led to a fellowship with God and fruit from his life. We've got to move on to number two. If I'm going to dwell in the presence of the Lord, this will happen. I will love with fidelity. I will love with fidelity. We're seeing the person dwelling in the presence of the Lord. Look at verse 3 now. Verse 3. Notice, who's this person? Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. I want you to notice here, loved ones. Okay, we're again. Who's the person who dwells in the powerful presence of the Lord? Notice all three indicators here are all about personal relationships in our lives, interpersonal relationships, and sin against another human being. Each one here, notice, notice, um, in my speech, slander against others. In my actions, do evil to a neighbor against others. Uh, personal sin in attitude. Um, the person doesn't take up reproach. Blaming others against another. So what's really happening here, we have a person refusing to do evil, but resolving to love. It's a love that's filled with fidelity or faithfulness. But again, I want you to see this. All three are describing a relationship we have with other people within our lives. And the greater context is, if I want to be a man or woman dwelling in the presence of the Lord, then I must be aware that personal sin against other people in my life, that will be a tremendous inhibitor to seeing God's power flow through my life. Fidelity, love, faithfulness, never underestimate that. Do I want the presence of God within my friendships? Well, then faithfulness and love has to be at the center. Do I want the presence of God within my marriage? Obviously, fidelity and love is massive. This is why repentance is such a big deal. I've shared with you in the past times where to my wife, Jill, I, I, in my pride and stubbornness and all my sin, but then coming to the place of faith and saying, I need to repent of my sin. And as you're repenting of your sin before your wife, the grace of God begins to flow down and just breaks you and humbles you. And in the moment, you're melted and you sense his love and grace. Why? Because God blesses a love that is filled with fidelity and humility and longing for his purity. Do you want the presence of God within your church? Fidelity, unity, love, and the truth of the Lord. Again, I, I've literally witnessed leaders repent of slander and evil to one another and blaming someone else. They've repented of that in true brokenness, and bam, the Holy Spirit shows up and just floods the place. It's awesome. At the same time, I've watched leaders refuse to humble themselves, to be hard-hearted and stubborn, 
and they become, they literally become Holy Spirit repellent. Just think about your life right now. Who is the person who dwells in the tent of God? Who is the person that knows the presence of the Lord? We do not want to become Holy Spirit repellent. Love and fidelity is massive. Um, I'm not a big fan of clogged pipes. Any form of clogged pipes generally tends to bug me a lot, okay? Let's say a clogged pipe in a home, part of the plumbing. Definitely a clogged pipe in the heart. That's a big problem. Clogged pipe in some part of the car. It always seems to go wrong, doesn't it? Something isn't working right and the flow is stopped and the blockage occurs and the thing cannot operate the way it's been designed to operate with power. Listen here. When we have issues of interpersonal sin in our lives, when we have relationships right now that we are not good with, when we are holding bitterness, when we are resentful, when we are harboring unforgiveness, when we are attacking other people, when we are gossiping, when we are sitting in here in a place that we're supposed to be filled with love and we are actually being used to sin against one another, that could be one of the greatest indications of why God's power is not seen through your life. Take your exam right now. Let it flood through your life. Is that true for us right now? Is that true for your heart right now? Are there issues of interpersonal sin, slander, doing evil, blaming others? And that's why the presence of God has not been known in your life maybe in a very long time. Integrity matters to the Lord so much. Fidelity matters to the Lord so much. Number three, this, purity matters to the Lord so much. I will long for purity. If I'm going to be a man or woman dwelling in the presence of the Lord, the heart after his, I will long for purity. Look at verse four now. See, like the list is continuing. Notice, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. This is the person who sojourns in the tent of God, in, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but then honors those who fear the Lord. When I read that verse this week, I thought of Romans 10 right away, or Romans 12 right away. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. This is who the Christian is supposed to be. You, you, you despise evil. Not despising the person themselves, but you despise the sin within that person. So the more we are transformed in Christ, what happens? We are transformed in Christ. We align ourselves with God. And as we align ourselves with God, we think like God as well. Why? Why? Because loved ones, God has no pleasure in evil. God takes no pleasure. He loves people who are lost in darkness, but he himself is not darkness. He disdains any form of evil. So as we pursue the presence of God, without a doubt then, Philippians 4, we think on things true, honorable, just, pure, and lovely. This is who we are to be. We love seeing the, the fruit of God and his presence within our lives. We grow in Christ. We long for the Lord. As we long for the Lord, what happens as well? We long for purity, and we despise what is not pure. One of the strong signs that God is at work in your heart is that you get to places in your life often where sin sickens you. Like you feel sick over certain areas, or sin, you cease, and you just, you just feel sick about it. I know some people in my life, they have um, such a healthy diet that when they eat something unhealthy, it literally causes them to feel sick, okay? Now, that's not my problem right now, okay? okay? But other people I watch, like, they will eat foods that I would eat no problem, and, they, and all of a sudden, it just, it just it makes them feel sick. Why? Because their body is so used to healthy food. That should be the Christian life in many ways. We have a purity growing within us that when we are encounter a form of darkness and sin, demonic activity, just the lust and the flesh of the world, it should sicken us. 
Should be environments that we just feel so uncomfortable we can't really explain it, but we know we just feel spiritually dirty. I hope you know what it feels to feel spiritually dirty in the right sense of that word. That you walk into an environment, you're like, it's not right, man. It's just not right. It doesn't mean you don't, doesn't mean you don't love. It doesn't mean you're not trying to reach the lost in that place. It just means in your spirit, there's a discernment to say, this is not good. This is, ah. And there was a new believer walking into a bar. He used to frequent bars a lot before Christ. They're walking into a bar, and all of a sudden, man, the new eyes came on. You're kind of looking around. You're going, this is not good. This is just, uh, uh, this is gross. And you see for what it is. You, you, you weep over those who are caught in it, but you yourself, you're so repelling against the darkness because you despise the vile person, but you honor those who fear the Lord. At the same time, you're so attracted to those who have Christ in them because you resonate so deeply, and you sense the power of God working upon their lives. This is the man or woman who will find themselves filled with the presence of the Lord. It's those men or women who understand the reality of what is good and what is evil. And men here today, women here today, one of the signs and one of the most, most destructive forces in our society is sexual, sensual images. And one of the, you know you're growing in the Lord and just, well, you have no tolerance for that. You have a form of pornography coming into your life or some kind of image or whatever it is and a temptation towards thinking, and you look at it, and you see it for what it is. That is of the devil himself. That is demonic. That is straight from the pit of hell. And that right there is trying to kill me, destroy me, to ruin my marriage, to destroy my life, and to send me down a path of destruction that I will not recover from. See, when you see it for what it is, you begin to hate it in the right sense that you despise it. And then you love what is good. That's a powerful path of the principle of seeing God's presence fill our lives you know just in in psalm 24 i'm gonna ask you just to turn there go psalm 24 just to finish this point because psalm 24 verse 3 it's almost identical to our text psalm 24 verse 3 check it out ready psalm 24 verse 3 just keep a finger in psalm 15 and who shall ascend the hill of the lord sound familiar and who shall stand in his holy place here's the answer you probably know the answer already he who has clean hands and a pure heart and does not lift up his soul, his soul, to what is false. You think this matters to God, purity? Ah, yes. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. So, the person who will dwell in the presence of the Lord, integrity, fidelity, purity, and now this, ready? Consistency. I will resolve for consistency. Look at verse 4 now, the second half of verse 4. The text says in Psalm 15, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. The person who will know the presence of the Lord will be a guest in God's house is the person who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Really what this is saying, isn't it amazing what God cares about? Again, this isn't an exhaustive list, but it's a very important list. God cares about us as his children when we make a promise, keep a promise. To the point, when we make a promise, we will keep it at our own hurt, at our own cost. Who swears to his own hurt. There's so much here, and as the verse uh, five unfolds, to, um, for all the business people in the room as well. I mean, it's just here, but for all of us as well. When you say, it's just in the text, okay? When you say you're going to do something, and situations change against you, the integrity-filled individual longing for the presence of God keeps their promise despite the difficulty it has been founded upon themselves. 
When situations change around me, I'm still honoring what I said I was going to do within me. That's what this text is saying right here. Who swears to his own herd and does not change. Think of how that can relate to marriage and vows. Well, life isn't good. Things are getting tough, man. All the, the health thing, all the stuff. So what? It's not about you. It's about the Lord, man. It's about your commitment and honor that you swear to your own herd and does not. Consistency is massively needed in our day. Think of how much David was a man like this, man. A man who was word. It cost him so much. Just think of him and Saul. What he could have done, what he didn't do. Man, that's a blessing to have that example in front of us. Kind of reminds me of James 5 where it says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Do what you say you're going to do. Yes be yes and no be no. Question, are we dependable? Are we reliable? Do we have integrity? Do we have consistency? And then notice this as well. We, as we jump into verse 5 now, okay, notice it says here, um, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. Now, the Bible here, again, is relating integrity, consistency now with money. It says, don't be greedy. Don't be someone who bribes. Don't conduct shady business deals. Think about it. Think about it. Why are people greedy? Why are people shady? Why do people conduct dishonest deals and their devious nature with money? The reason they do that is because they want more money. Fair? They just, because the reason they want more money, they believe money is the answer. Their value system is store up treasures on earth because that's what satisfies. God says, you're really dumb if you do that. In fact, he says in Luke, fool. Don't you realize your life has been demanded of you this day and you store up these bigger barns for what? For what does a profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his, his soul? Well, there's wisdom, right? Now listen, listen. The Bible's saying here, integrity, consistency has a massive deal when it relates to money. Here's the Bible again, bring it up money. I'm not, God is, why? Because he knows the heart, man. And he keeps bringing up the reality of this area of our lives because it can be one of the greatest clogs in the spiritual pipe of the Holy Spirit flowing into our lives. Question, could it be that you are here right now? How many people and how many believers are experiencing so little of the pursuit of the presence of the Lord because if truth be told, you're simply too busy with the pursuit of money. Just let that sit in for a second. Oh, there's people in this room. That, that, that's your issue, man, for sure because this is our entire system of our world. Get more, have more, want more, need more, buy more, spend more, 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 more. If that's us, our value system is messed up. And we've been sucked into a pattern of demonic thinking that is desiring to take us away from the power and the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord. I'll ask it one more time. Could it be that the reason we have so little of God in our lives and the power of his presence is because we're simply too busy and preoccupied with the pursuit of money? Who shall sojourn in the tent of the Lord? The individual, the man or woman, who is not greedy for money, who is not taking bribes, who does not take advantage of those who are innocent. It's the man, woman, and child who understands the true value system is not treasures in earth, but treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. If I am to dwell in the presence of the Lord, integrity, fidelity, purity, consistency, and this takes us to the final part of this wonderful psalm, 
Point number five, if I see these things in my life, then I will know, ready, immovability. Then I will not be moved, immovability. How exciting this is. Look at the very end of verse five, check it out. It says this, he who does these things shall never be moved. That encourages me, I love that. Reminds me of from Proverbs that says, the root of the righteous shall not be moved. Look at this, look at this. He who does these things shall never be moved. In some ways, this psalm comes full circle, okay? Who shall dwell in the presence of the Lord? And then it comes back and it's kind of referring to this in the beginning and now at the end, he who does these things, he who knows the righteousness of Christ, he or she who knows the presence of the Lord and the pursuit of him, a man or woman after God's own heart, a hunger for him, a longing for him, the fruit of God within their lives, this is the person that will not be moved. This is the person that will dwell with the Lord forever. So the righteous one will be a guest in the tent of God forever. Will never be moved. That's so awesome. Do you know what it's like to have a foundation that is 100% secure? It's a good feeling. Do you know what it's like to have a foundation that isn't secure? Not a very good feeling. Let's take uh, a ladder, for instance. Not a huge fan of ladders. Like, I can do it, and I have done it, and I will do it again. But there's always just a part of me when you're on a ladder, you're just like, "Mm, I want to get down. You know what I'm saying? And just recently been on a ladder and kind of put it up against a tree is trying to cut off a tree branch. And, and um, you know, hey, son, can you hold the ladder? Sure, Dad. Hold it tight, son. All right? <laughs> you hold it tight. And you're up there, and there's always that moment on the ladder. It seems to go like that. You know when it kind of shakes a bit, and you're like, whoa, right? And you're high enough that you're like, I don't feel like breaking my leg right now. I just don't feel like doing that right now, you know? And it just shakes enough, and you're just like, oh, I just want to. And then you get down, and my knees hurt enough as it is. But then you get down, and you're kind of on the ground, you're like, whew. It's just so much better, just kind of like solid, firm foundation. But you know when you're following Jesus Christ, you are on a foundation that can never, ever be taken from you, ever. When you're following the world, your foundation might as well be a ladder teetering on the verge of falling over. That's what it is. It's just a matter of time. I think the Bible is something to say. Jesus talked about this example of a house built on sand, a house built on rock. Ever heard of that one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you build your house in the sand, storm comes, see ya. You build your house on the rock, and it will be there forever. That's why we love, we love to sing, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is, because, because there's only one foundation and rock, Jesus Christ. I want to take nothing for granted right here, right now. You walked in this place today, and you've known during this service in different ways, in different forms, you are not saved in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ reaches out you today and you have sensed you are on a teetering ladder and you have felt the instability of your life. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, he promises none of the sheep that come to me will ever be cast out. Jesus promises what I start, I will finish. Jesus guarantees that those who put their faith and trust in me and have their sins forgiven by what I have done for them, they will reach everlasting life. They will never, ever die. Jesus Christ is the rock. He is the rock of eternal life. And no one who fully puts their trust in him will ever be put to shame and ever be disappointed and ever be lost. They will be found forever and ever because that's who he is and that's what he promises to do. Who shall sojourn in the tent of God? Who may dwell on his holy hill? Ultimately, they who have given their lives to Jesus Christ. And because of their faith in him and their fellowship in him, now they are called to bear fruit for him. May it be so in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Let's pray.
Father, work right now as only you can. Work in your church. Work through lives. Work in encouragement and glory. Father, I pray right now there's so much here. Holy Spirit, I pray you are saying to many people, I think of those who needed to hear the word in integrity, for those who needed to hear the word in fidelity, for those who needed to hear the word in purity or consistency, and maybe for those who needed to hear the word of immovability. Jesus Christ is the answer to all these things. And so I pray by God's strength, loved ones, it's God's strength. I just encourage you right now where you are in those areas, the things that you have been convicted by by the Holy Spirit. You go to God and you turn from your sin. You repent. You confess to him. Lord, I have sinned against you by doing this or not doing this. Lord, I confess my sin to you. I have not. You fill it in. You fill it in. And then you trust that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, he loves you so much. That's why he continues to reach out to you. Because he wants more and more of you. He wants your heart. He just wants you to know the joy and the satisfaction of life. He's the only one who can give it and bring it. Oh, God, do that. Oh, you're the answer, Lord. Help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.